0: Welcome again through The Great Escape. We're working through the book of Exodus. Uh, praise the Lord. This is, uh, I'm excited about today's message. I've asked some, several people to pray about the message today. If I can just get out of the way, that's the desire. Um, last week, give us a little bit of an update. Last week in our message, Frogs or Freedom, we saw the Lord discredit another of Egyptians of the Egyptians gods as he revealed his power and authority not only over the Nile River, but he actually took one of the most revered symbols in their culture and used it as a weapon to smite the entire country. Frogs were honored as a representation of the fertility god Heket. So when God overran the, the country with them and then killed them, leaving the land filled with the stench of death, the Egyptian culture as a whole was shaken. What was once revered as a symbol of life unmistakably was now a symbol of death. This display of power was to cause the people to be humbled before and turn to the one true God. In the midst of this calamity, their leader Pharaoh was shaken as well, but his pride would not let him relent to the Hebrew God. So this week, we will see how the Lord continues to humble the Egyptians and their stubborn ruler as he shapes their hearts with further pressure applied by the finger of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. And uh, Lord, you know that I have begged you, uh, Lord, to, uh, to speak through me today. And Lord, I know that you've spoken to me about the message. But Lord, I'd ask God that you would please... Uh, speak through me that the words that I share will not be the ones that I would choose, Lord, that you remove the human element, Lord, and the Spirit of God will work in a mighty way in our hearts. Lord, give us what we need. Uh, We are a needy people, Lord. We are thirsting for truth, and we'd ask, God, that you fill us this morning. Help us, God, to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Exodus chapter number 8, verse number 16 is where we're going to be starting out. Uh, and it says here, And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Take note here that there's not a warning. There's not a sister situation. This is not one of those things where he says, Let my people go, and then... Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't do it. He, this, this one just comes without warning, okay? Um, this is probably in response to the fact that Pharaoh said, I will let the people go, but then whenever after the frogs were, were stopped, he went back on his word. So the people of Egypt have witnessed the betrayal of the river god Hapi as the waters turned to blood. We've seen an attack where God actually, uh, the, the Egyptian people now faced a betrayal of their fertility god Heket as the frogs seem to turn against them and then leave them in a a mess. So we've seen two attacks or two plagues that came from water. Now, what we're going to see is a shift here. We're going to go from water. It now says that this one comes from the land, okay? The the god of the earth in the Egyptian culture's name was Geb, G-E-B, Geb. So this is an attack against that god. What you're going to find through the 10 plagues is God is discrediting the Egyptian gods throughout, And it says here, it says, smite the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Back to verse number one. I want you to notice that it says, use the word land, but the word I want you to focus on, it says it. It says, smite the dust of the land that it may become lice. So God literally turns inanimate dust into life. Okay? It says, turns it into dust. Creating life is something that only God can do. He's taken an inanimate object and he's turning it into a living object. This is something that is only in the purview and the power of the Lord. Creating life. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So I want you to take note of the fact that it says in the beginning. Okay? So here's an introduction to God, introduction to the power of creation. Then if we go to John 1.1, I want you to notice the exact same words. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, not anything made that was made. When it uses Him, it means Jesus. I'm going to prove it to you. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God and the Word are the same thing. Now we jump to John 1.14. It says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so we see the only place where God was ever made flesh and dwelt among us would be in the human being of Jesus Christ. Then we also see a little bit further explanations. and we beheld his glory as the glory as the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten of the Father would be the Son, right? Again, pointing to him full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the creator. Do we see that in the scripture? Yeah, pretty well proven. You guys with me this morning? Yeah. Excellent, okay? So we see that Jesus is the creator. So what is the material that God or Jesus used? uses to form physical life. Let's look at it in Genesis 2-7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Job gives us a further qualifier in thirty four fifteen. Job says, All flesh, meaning every living being, all flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again unto dust. Okay. So we notice that the dust, an inanimate object, right? So dust is an important part of the creation of life. What we also find out is dust has another issue with it. Dust by itself actually equals damnation. Okay, and I'm going to prove this to you in the scripture. We want to verify it. Mark six eleven says this: "And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when you depart thence." Now, just by just as a side note, I looked up the word dust in the Bible. There are 102 verses. That lists the word dust, and they all point to the same answer. I picked out only four to show them here. It says, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. He's saying, look, those who will not receive the truth of God are receiving a lie. They are rejecting life, and they are accepting damnation. Ezekiel 27, 30 says this, and shall cause their voice to be heard against thee, shall cry bitterly, and shall cast up dust upon their heads, they shall wallow themselves in the ashes. Revelations 18, 19. And they cast dust on their heads and cried weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were wherein were made rich, all that had ships in the sea by reason of her by her costliness, for in one hour is she made rich. Desolate. Genesis 3 14, one we're very familiar with here. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust thou shalt eat all the day of thy life. Damnation is your destiny. So, dust on its own is actually a picture of a destructive thing, it's not a positive. So, the dust is an important building block. There's a much more important and essential building block to life, right? And if we look in Genesis 2, 7, it says, "...and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul." The breath of life. Now, so we see that spark that takes an inanimate object and turns it into life is the breath or the life of God. Now, we use the Bible to define the Bible to prove what the breath of life is, okay? What is it exactly? Psalm 33, 6 teaches us. It says, "...by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth, referencing creation. Genesis 1, 2 says, And the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we see the breath of God and the Spirit of God synonymous. So before the fall of man, we had this situation where Adam was in perfect fellowship with God. He was an eternal being. He was in perfect fellowship with God. So guess what he possessed? The spirit of God. It was breathed into his nostrils, right? So he had a relationship. He had the existence that you and I were created for, what we were created for, but unfortunately denied. Look in this in Genesis 1:27. It says, so God created man in his own image and the image of God created him male and female. So we know that God created man in his image and made him perfect. And what happens here, he had righteousness. He had eternal life. He had that eternal relationship with the father. But then what we have here, the moment of salvation, when you and I get saved, guess what? The salvation, the spirit that we received at salvation is the one that Adam had way back here prior to the fall, right? Now, check this out. The unity that he had is what we had. After the fall, Adam was devoid of the spirit of God, the spirit of life, as death or damnation came on the scene. Check this out, Genesis 5.5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died died okay so there was a shift right we saw it shift from life to damnation he went into being in the flesh as opposed to being in the spirit so dust dust without the spirit of god is equivalent to death so adam's descendants guess what we're not born with the spirit we're born with the fallen aspects of him. Genesis 5, 3 says this, And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness. Not in the likeness of God, in his own likeness. So after Adam's fall, after Adam and Eve, after the fall, then there's a shift, and we're no longer born with that spirit. We're born absent or devoid of that spirit. Romans five twelve says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So that's the bad news, right? In order for us to have that life, right, life is created through the Spirit and possession of the Spirit. Now, we cannot attain it on our own. It's impossible for us to gain it. Titus 3, 5 says this, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. It's through Him. It's through Him. Without the Spirit, we are destined for damnation. We are without hope. No matter how good a person you are, no matter how many things you might do for the poor, no matter how time you may give to service, It's not about our service. It's not about the life that we live. The Bible teaches us that we're actually, God says that all of our righteousness appears filthy rags before the Lord. And if you study that a little bit, those rags, what they're really kind of talking about, they're talking about the bandages they used to put on lepers. Do you know what happens to a leper? Their skin just sloughs off in big chunks and it leaves pus and blood. And they would wrap it with a bandage and after it would start to harden, they would take it off and they would put a fresh one on. And those are the bandages he's talking about when he compares his righteousness to ours. Because guess what? We don't do things out of just pure righteousness and out of goodness. We do them with selfish intentions. I don't know if any of you guys are guilty. You ever walk by and like, give somebody money, and you're like, and then you're like, man, that's pretty nice of me. Just hope somebody saw that. We don't want to admit it, but guess what? That's what we think. We are selfish by nature. But the good news, even though there's not hope for us on our own, with Jesus, there's always hope. Praise God. There's always hope. Ephesians 2, 4, and 6 is this, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. That word quickened means brought to life spiritually. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you notice what that verse is saying, it's saying, look, your, your membership or your, your citizenship in heaven, it's already established. He says here, he's made us sit together in heavenly places. You are already, if you're a child of God, if you're born again on this earth, guess what? You are already a resident of heaven at the same time. By his great love, his mercy and grace, God extends the gift of salvation to humanity. When we receive the gift of faith or the gift of, of salvation by faith, bottom line is the spirit indwells us and we become an eternal being. It's that moment of humility that adds us to the family of God, man. This is an amazing opportunity that God's given us out of love for us. We're undeserving. Yet God, because he loves us, offers it to us. Our eternal existence with God begins the second we invite the Lord into our hearts. And this allows us to experience the life that we were truly created to live. Adam blew it way back then. Yeah, man, he blew it big. And then you and I have paid the price ever since. First Corinthians 15, says this, for as, an, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every single person on the planet is given the option to receive that Yet the amazing gift of God. All it takes is us calling upon it. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what race you are, what age you are, what sex you are, irrelevant, right? <laughs> Everything is level at the cross. Bottom line is, in our world, we might pick and choose who's deserving and who's undeserving. We might have, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, racial issues, sex issues, whatever they are, religious issues. We look at what happened in New Zealand. Evil, 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 divisions among humanity. But yet God sees every single one of them evenly, and he loves every one. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every single one. I don't care what people say. Bottom line, so the same love that we see here, God is extending it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, anybody, that word whosoever means anybody, anybody that will call upon Him, they shall be saved. It's a matter of faith, man. God wants to bring life where there was once death. Remember, Egypt is a picture of sin and the world, right? Now, so if we know this about sin, check this out, James one fifteen. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So sin and death go hand in hand, right? And we're looking at an instance where God is bringing life into death. Life into death. Verse number 17. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice. Again, he reiterates the same thing. This is an analogy becoming lice lice in man and in beast and all the dust of the land. Wherefore, lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Egypt is immediately occupied lice there everywhere. Dead and animate dust has now come to life into tiny insects. Life out of death is a God thing. No matter how much modern scientists may think or understand about biology, guess what? That's outside of their purview. They cannot create life They can try to mimic what's going on with God, but bottom line is they cannot in any way do what God has done. In fact, if if it were not for the human body's self-healing design that God created, think about this. They are 100% dependent upon the design that God created. Because if, if, if it came down to it and our bodies didn't heal themselves, the greatest doctor in the world could not heal a skin knee. True? The most minor cut would never be healed no matter how much knowledge of the human body they may have. So what happens is we find them, they're completely 100% dependent upon a system that God created, their faith in that system, their dependability of that, that was hard to say, the dependability of that that system. So God created this system that they can count on, that they know, and they can measure, and they go, you know what, if we do this, this should work. And if we do this, this should work. But are they doing it? No. It's like this. It's kind of like me getting on an airplane, right? I get on an airplane. Well, let's say I don't say, I don't say, I just meet you somewhere, and you go, how'd you get here? I'm in California. I go. I just flew here. Really? Yeah, I can fly. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I just felt like coming. I just flew all the way here. Like five hours, man. It's pretty sweet. Pretty great. Now, is it ridiculous for me to take credit for the airplane flying me here? That's silly. I did not fly here. Someone designed an airplane. They put all the work and energy and time and money into creating the airplane. And for me to say, you know what? I get credit for flying here. I'm pretty pretty talented. That's a physician who says, look, I'm a healer. You're not a healer. You're dependent upon a system that God created, and it's only because you trust in that system 100% are you able to heal anything. And so God, as we hear that term, people get the great physician, the great physician, the great physician. He is the great physician because he created the system, man. Our bodies are amazing machines. The fact that you can rip off your fingernail, and guess what'll come back? A fingernail! That's awesome, dude. I mean, that's amazing. You anybody ever torn off your, toilet, your fingernail? That's a, that's, that stinks. You always get the weird, bubbly, weird shape one that comes back. But anyway, it still comes back. But it's amazing what God has created and its dependence on that system. But what happens is many times as arrogant as humanity is, we want to take credit for ourselves. When God's not in his proper place, humility or humanity fills the void with self-importance. You see today, many people worship the creature instead of the creator. Romans 125 says, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worship and served the creature more than the creator. So taking credit from God and applying it to themselves. Romans 121 says this, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, not even appreciative of the system that God created. Didn't give him any credit at all. Say, look, you know what? I'm going to do this operation. I'm going to do these things. And it works out. And they go, oh, man, you're healed. No thanks at all for the system God created at all, but became vain in their their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Darkened. They're vain. They believe it's of them, and denying God and where it came from. If we gave the greatest scientific minds in the world the building blocks of life dust, and asked them to create a single-celled organism, that's all we ask. They would say, that's impossible. And they'd be right, except when it comes to God. It ain't impossible. Check this out, verse number 18. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. The dark arts of these men have are only for destruction. They're not for creation. Their inability is a stark reminder of the power of God. Using everything at their disposal, they could not create life it's impossible they cannot do it out of death the magicians shift out of their role of standing against God and trying to mimic his powers and they get humbled through what we call failure now I don't know if anybody any of you guys have ever been humbled through failure it's a pretty amazing tool isn't it because sometimes we think we got everything covered man man I got this no problem You ever go into a test thinking you're gonna crush it? That That never really happened to me when I was in school, but every once in a while it did happen to me. Every once in a while I got a good grade, but generally speaking, even a lot of times when I felt confident it didn't turn out the way I expected it to, right? Or we think we've got everything under control, we think we've got this mindset of how things should turn out and what happens when it fails, it has a tendency to change our perspective a little bit. And we stop being quite as self-confident as we were before and we start thinking, God bless you. We start thinking, you know what, hmm, maybe I need to do a little research. The reason why my wife and I came to Christ is because my wife was in a situation where she had so much bitterness in her heart because she'd been wronged by someone, by a company, and she was so bitter, and she couldn't get rid of it, and she said, you know what? My wife's someone who's succeeded a lot in her life. She's always traditionally been very, very successful, and when she tries to do something, she doesn't. To find herself in a situation where she was in failure, she was so devastated by it and going, you know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And she fell back on her roots and said, you know what? I don't know God, but I know of God, I don't have a relationship with him, but you know what? I'm willing to search for whatever the answer might be. And she started reading the Bible, and it was through her desire to know the Word of God. I was raised with nothing. I didn't know anything about God. I wasn't looking for God. So what was amazing was God used her and spoke to her heart to draw us to a point in time where one night we sat down on a couch, and somebody opened the Bible and said, you know what? Do you know for sure? If this is your last day, are you sure? And thankfully, he treated us like we knew nothing, and I didn't know anything, man. Christmas Christmas to me was Santa Claus from the time I was born until the age of 34 years old. Easter bunny, that was Easter. That's all I knew. So I didn't come into the mindset of going, look, I already know about all these Bible stories. I didn't know anything about anything. But the night that he shared the gospel with us, man, there was no doubt that it was truth. No doubt. It resonated in my heart with such a truth that I could not deny it. And that's what's happening to these Egyptians. They're going, you know what? Whoa. Whoa. Whoa this ain't working, this, there's something going on here. They've witnessed the blood, they've witnessed the frogs, and now the lights just come up out of nowhere and they try to do the same thing and they can't do it. Bottom line is, these magicians are learning in this moment to how to be humbled, right? We studied last week, when we talked about what it requires to, in order for us to know God, it requires a humble heart, right? First Peter 5 6, 5, 6 says this, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Pride separates us from the Lord. And guess what? Humility reunites us with him. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And every one of us, if we're human, we have a pride problem. Every one of us, we all have a pride problem. But that's the thing. Pride separates us from God and humility reunites us with him. While the magicians were successful in mimicking God's power, they didn't recognize him. But now amidst their failure, guess what? Their attitudes change a little bit. Verse number 19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, "This is the finger of God." And Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. See, these men went from trying to be like God and mimic his, his wonders and all these things to understanding and admitting who he was and recognizing his complete authority. It's unbelievable to a complete difference and change in them. When we see the might of God displayed, we have two choices, right? We can accept it for what it is or We can cover our eyes and plug our ears and go into denial. Not just a river, by the way, right? Not only do they recognize God's power and authority, but guess what? They profess it as well. They don't keep it to themselves. They say, this is the finger of God. This is the crumbling of his support system, right? Notice this, this foreshadowing, this humbling that's taking place is the same thing that's going to impact Pharaoh and Egypt as a whole. Now, remember back in John 8, we studied the book of John, we walked through it for over a year. In, in John 8, we remember back there, and I'm going to catch up to speed back in John 8, there was a time when Jesus is called into a crowd. And what happens is they found this woman who's been caught in, in, in adultery. And they bring him in, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they gather Jesus in this crowd, all these folks, and they throw her down before him. And they say, Look, you know what? Hey, this woman's been caught in adultery. And they set a trap for him. And instead of falling into the trap they try to set for him, he simply stops and bends down. And it says, The Bible says he takes his finger and he writes in the, the ground, right? Writes on the ground. And then what happens? It's amazing. We looked at, then we compared it to Exodus thirty-one eighteen. And it says this in 31.18, And he gave unto Moses when he, had done, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. Interesting, isn't it? Now, think, consider this. Both times the finger of God is writing. Consider this. If you take stone and you smash it into a fine powder, what do you get? Dust. It's the exact same material, just in different forms. So the finger of God is writing in the same things, writing in the same dust, the finger of God. (laughs) Notice this also. How many times was it written? Jesus in in John uh, 8, 6, he bends down, he writes in this, he writes in the dust. But guess what? In John 8, 8, it says he bends down again. And he writes a second time. And there's a result we're going to see in a minute. But then in Exodus 31, 18, he receives the Ten Commandments. But guess what? In Exodus 34, 28, he has to get them again because you know what he did? He came down and caught the people in the midst with the golden calf, and he was like, and he shatters them. And God writes them a second time. So we see a picture in John 8, two times he writes. You see in, in, in Exodus 31, we see in 31, 34, two times he writes. Both times written with the finger of God. And look at the result of each one, John 8, 9. And, which, and it says, and they which heard it were convicted by their own conscience. Okay, when you're convicted by your conscience, that means it's not something anyone else knows about. It's hidden sin. It's been revealed, right? And look at this. Went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and, left, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So what happened with whatever he wrote on the ground, it revealed hidden sin, and they were convicted of their sin, and they reacted to it. Check this out. What's the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Check this out. Romans 3.20 explains it. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The Ten Commandments are not given to us as a guideline to try to live our lives because no one can meet them. No one can. No one's perfect. They were there to reveal sin. So when I compare my life to those commandments, I go, you know what? I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I failed there, and I failed there, and I failed there. Both times, written twice, both times for the conviction of sin, both times with the finger of God. Amazing, right? Wow. In both instances, the Lord is establishing His authority in print, physically, tangibly, but spiritually as well. Second Corinthians 3.3 3 says this, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ, ministered by us, Written not with ink, but with the Spirit Amen. of the living God, not on tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. We know what's right and wrong when we're born. You don't have to be born again. You don't have to be a Christian to know what's right and wrong. Amen. We know what lying is wrong. We know that killing is wrong. We know these things. They were written inside of us. The morality of who we are, guys, it was created in us by God in the moment when he breathed life into us. God's authority is over nature. It's over time. It's over space. It's over matter. It's over humanity. It's over good and over evil. Luke 11:20. 20, the only other place you're going to find the finger of God, says here, but if I, this is Jesus speaking, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. God's authority is being clearly displayed Egypt. It's being clearly displayed to our world. People can deny it all they want to, but it does not matter. It does not change the truth. The truth is what it is. And we find these Egyptian people, we see the magicians learning. They're going, you know what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to change our perspective. We're going to see things a little bit differently. Pharaoh's still hard-hearted. But you know what? The Egyptian people, they're seeing these things. Their gods are being dismantled right in front of them. And all the things they believe are now starting to tremble and shake. And, the, and you look at the Israelites. They've got to be going, look at what God's doing. Look at what God's doing. They had fallen during this time. They'd fallen into, into the pagan beliefs. They still held on to their Israel, or their, their Hebrew beliefs. But guess what? They were so messed up. So what happens at this point in time? Their faith is being strengthened, while the Egyptians' faith in their gods is being shaken. God is establishing something here. He's working through each one of these plagues to change the heart of the people. It's about humility, humility, humility. You cannot have a relationship with God if you are not humble. And we hold on to our pride like a badge of courage. We think we're so important, and you realize to God you are important. But in this world, guess what? It's, up to, it's just all about God. It's not about us. We want to live this life with us centered and everything built around us and what fulfills us. And what? But well, I want to be happy and I want to have this and I want to have that. What if you said, I want to make God happy and I want Him to have this and that. But what's so cool about it is he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put me first and His righteousness. That means we reflect, we reflect in our life. That means I do self-assessment. The ladies this, this weekend, they did what? Uh, like a makeover. But the whole concept, they were taking the idea of like renovations. You go into an old abandoned building and what do they do? They go, you know what? They assess what's there. Then they take out all the rot and the dead, bad things and they eliminate it and they replace it with the new. All things become, all things are past. All things become new. God says, look, I want to change who you are inside. Righteousness means that your life is a reflection of Christ. And so many of us sort of just, yeah, I'm a Christian. yeah. But if you looked at our lives, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between us and a lost person. We allow it to infiltrate all who we are, how we talk, what we read, what we watch, way we talk, I mean, everything. But if we're focused on righteousness and God allows us to clean these things out of us, man, we will shine, shine, shine. And the humility is the key for us to shine because pride is a destructive force that's constantly every day trying to destroy us. The whole thing is... The authority is being clearly displayed. The question is, how will they respond? Right? How will Pharaoh respond? You know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what Pharaoh does. It doesn't matter what your neighbor does. It only matters what we do. Because guess what? We are individually, by name, accountable to God. The moment you receive Christ, the Bible says your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Never to be erased. And that's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And God pays for all of our sins. Praise the Lord. But then the expectation switches to us. He says, look, I'll handle your salvation. That's up to me. I got that. Sealed with the spirit of God. But now I'm going to have you have a Christian life. And I want to see what you do with that. How will you live for me? How will you exalt me? Will I be what people know about you or will it be more about you? Will people's reputation or the reputation that you have, will it be about the person that you are or do you give God glory? There are good people in the world, man. There are good people that have run good races in the race of life, man. They've done a great job. but The problem is it's all about them. You know, it was really cool. We, my wife and I watched a thing on Billy Graham. I highly recommend it. I'll send you the link if you want to see it. It's phenomenal. What was so neat about it was the fact that every time you saw him spoken, they'd be like, you know, Brother Billy, Pastor Billy, da-da-da, and they'd build him up, build him up, build him up, build him up. And he's like, this ain't about me, man. I'm just a farm boy from North Carolina. This ain't about me. This is about the Lord. And his whole thing was if God could be exalted, if God could be exalted. And that needs to be the attitude for every one of us. Because you know what? As pride swells up within us, we want this sense of importance but remember, as pride increases, humility decreases. But as pride decreases, humility increases. He will exalt the humble. But guess what? Those that are prideful, he will abase, he says, or bring them down. A humble heart is what God's looking for. Will we revere God and put him in his proper place of authority in our lives? Or will we keep that place of authority reserved for ourselves? If we'll humble ourselves before God and seek to know Him, He will lovingly direct and empower our lives. And as we open ourselves to Him, guess what? He will write His love letter to humanity on the table of our hearts. And He will reveal truth to us and reveal love to us we've never experienced before. And there may be some of you sitting here dating you going, I've never experienced maybe real love unconditional love. And if that's the truth for you, I am heartbroken for you. If you didn't get from your parents, I'm sorry. But guess what? There is a parent in heaven who will give you an unconditional love like nothing you've ever experienced before. It is pure. It is honest. It is real. And it is eternal. And if you've never experienced that, it's because you've chosen not to. God is calling you. The Bible says, no man come to God, yet the Father draw him. God is drawing hearts. You're here today for a specific reason. God placed you in a seat for a specific reason. This message for a specific reason. I don't know any of these things about this stuff. Anything that came out of this is good. It's not me. Anything it went awry, that was me. I'll take full credit. But bottom line is, God has a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives, and he wants to work through us. But we've got to get out of our own way. And what he's doing is he's humbling these Egyptians. He's humbling the Israelites. He's humbling us. He's humbling Moses in the folks. He's realizing the power of God. And if we put God where he's supposed to be, if you look in Isaiah 6 and you see, he says, I see God high and lifted up, man. And if we can just see him like that, high and lifted up, man, it will help you be humble because you realize how amazing he is and all that he's done for you. Instead of letting this world lie to you and take credit for the things that he's done, just why don't we give it all to him? Because you know what? Today, like I said, it's not about us. It's all about him. The t-shirt that the church has, it says, it's not about me. It's all about him. When you walk outside the doors of this church, right above the door, it says, it's not about me. It's all about him. And that's the key. Because guess what? If we allow him to write upon our hearts with the finger of God, he can change us forever. And we can leave this place instead of prideful, maybe humble. But guess what? Every day you've got to fight that pride and fight that pride because every day the devil's trying to exalt you and lift you up and tell you how important you are. And social media, man, how many likes did I get? How many people are paying attention? Am I Snapchatting? I don't need all the things. Whatever those little giggly things are they have. What are some other ones? I don't know. Instagram, there you go. Spit it out. There you go. All that little stuff, right? Those things right there can make us feel important. Man, oh, man, look at me. Look at me. I want to be famous. I want to have this many likes and this many followers and da, 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 da. And God says, no. What if it's nothing about you and it's all about me? When you stand before me one day, you'll be so glad. Your likes were zero and mine were 10 million. It's a tough world we live in. We've got a challenge and an enemy that knows us very well, and he plays upon our pride and he plays upon our weaknesses. He wants to bring you down. Praise God. The finger of God can work in your life and do things like nothing else can be done. The power of the Lord can exalt us and use us in ways that we never dreamed possible. If we'll humble ourselves before him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for the message, Lord, where we learn about the finger of God. and Lord, we look at where you've come from. Uh, God, what you've created and Lord, the purpose you have for us And Lord, I pray that as we do face an enemy that is very, very adept at twisting us and turning us and pointing us in the wrong directions, I would ask God that you help us to put our eyes upon the Lord. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight, trusting in our Father. Thank you for the love that you have for humanity. Thank you for the love you have for every one of us. You know our names. You know the number of the hairs upon our heads, how many heartbeats we're gonna get, And when our last breath will be down to the millisecond and you love us in spite of ourselves.